This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Positions, a safe place for trans communities, our friends and our allies to share our experiences. We'll discuss our issues, our challenges and our successes. We'll occasionally make you cry and hopefully we'll educate and inspire you. Welcome to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. Good evening. You are listening to Transpositions. My name is Michelle. <laughs> and I'm Megan. <laughs> Hello, Megan. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing well, sweetheart. Now, uh, welcome, everybody. We are carrying on from... We had a bit of a back-to-school segment, didn't we? We, we did. We've this whole past month has been about um, having parents of, of young trans children. We've had um, a teenager come in with Safe Schools Coalition. That was a brilliant one we had last mm. week. I loved that. And so what are we carrying on now with Megan? So what we're doing now is we're starting to look at what happens with a child when we need to start talking about hormone therapy because obviously as we grow up, we go through this lovely thing called puberty. Yeah, and um, well, we had a great one, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> so, but look, what we are doing is we're now looking at puberty with adolescent children, and uh, we're looking at things from a medical perspective, and we're also looking at things also from a legal perspective as well. So, with children wanting to access um, cross-sex hormone therapy at stage what we call stage two, how does that work? What's the legal aspects associated with that? Uh, also, the development of a child as well. We want to get questions from you guys, so if you've got questions or comments and and those kinds of things, please reach out to us, and this is how you can go about doing it. We're listening to you. SMS oh four two seven joy nine four nine. Email on air at joy or call us one three hundred joy nine four nine. So yes, that's how you can reach out to us if you do have questions or comments. Uh, also, if you've got your own child who is trans and you're trying to think about ways on how you can start to work through this, so this is a really important topic that we're talking about tonight, and I'm I'm nervous about it actually. <laughs> I am too. Uh, you know, these this is this is that stage where you start getting those secondary characteristics and the things that you know, myself, you know, trans transitioned later in life, so mm-hmm. we're actually fighting against the things that our body actually had yeah. developed and Facial so hair, and so shoulders, this actually the, the children yeah. will actually not have to go through this and have to deal with any of this for the rest of their lives yeah. and it makes it a lot easier for the children to transition yeah. prior to puberty less of, less depression good. less you know yeah, exactly. stress everything great so i've got a great track to find up for you guys to play right now it's actually the cure boys don't cry so don't go away we're going to come back with some news so you are listening to transpositions on joy 94.9 
Welcome back. You are listening to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. My name is Michelle, and I think tonight, Mingzi, I'm going to have to go by Mish because we got Mish. another Michelle in the room. We do have another Michelle in the room. So, so you know, it's, it's, it's Mish as normal. Mish so. as normal. But our two <laughs> guests that we have in the studio with us tonight is Dr. Michelle Telfer from the Royal Children's Hospital. Uh, she is the acting head of department, I believe, for the Center for Adolescent Health there at the Royal Children's Hospital. And we've also got Sally Nichols from Nichols Family Law. She's the head honcho. She's the partner. <laughs> Good evening, ladies, and welcome. Good evening. Thank you. Now, we what do we have now, Migsy? So we're going to talk about our favourite thing we talk about this time every week. and Every that is week, it's the news. The news. Now, ladies, if you do want to pipe in or anything, feel, feel free. Now, I was quite surprised with some of the articles that were popping up in the Googles. Okay. So... Now, we all know about the woman threatening to pull her kids from the high school who supports gender diversity. Um, now, it went a little bit further. Uh, the, the school is accused of a controversial teachings that denied it um, told boy, and which it denied that it told boys they could wear dresses and use female toilets. Uh, the mother said she was going to pull her children out of the high school and claimed the school was teaching dangerous and age inappropriate content about gender dysphoria. And I'm loving seeing the head shaking no in the room. Um, now, this high school, like many in Victoria, is part of the Safe Schools Coalition, which is designed to promote acceptance and tolerance of diverse people, including the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex community. And we had them on last week, and and they Mel was absolutely amazing. Mel was she? gorgeous. She was just so nice, and also Sarah as well. I guess was which oh, was yeah. fantastic. Which, which she transitioned within this 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 group. So the the principal said the school did not have any student that was openly transgender, and the school did not discuss sexual preferences with students. Um, what they said was, what we do at the school is accept all students and people, regardless of culture, origin, disabilities, and gender, he said. Uh, the Victorian government also mandated all schools to join the Safe Schools Coalition by 2018. Now, um, she, the, the, the mom went said she found the Safe Schools Coalition resources excessively sexual, which I looked at the articles that were sitting here in front of us. There was nothing sexual at all or any kind of content that was graphic or anything. It was all just a written document, which I'm completely surprised by. So Seems quite strange. Uh, and she's saying it's, it, it, she doesn't think it's a necessary thing to encourage, encourage children to do. Um, she said she had issues with the posters hanging around the school uh, as if they were recruiting people to the LGBTI community. Oh, did um, we say the, the gay agenda <laughs> or something like that? Yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, to be honest, uh, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. You better get the conversion team in. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, sorry, couldn't help myself. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> help like that. Now, uh, a spokesman for the Victorian Education Minister, James uh, Merlino, said the Safe Schools Coalition was about promoting inclusion and understanding to make schools safer for everyone. Um, discrimination, harassment, and bullying have no place in Victorian schools, and it is up to all of us to establish a safe and exclusive learning environment for for every one of our students. So, you know what? To the to the to the safe schools and to the Victorian uh, Education Department, go for it. Give them a yes. Thank you. Yeah. I don't have any booze. Yeah, I'll give that to the mother. Yeah, give you exactly. Now, bit of a better one. Good. Um, the Voice UK of 2016. Uh, they could be the first British talent show to have a transgender winner. Yay. With singer Jordan uh, Gray tipped to go far. 
What they said was Jordan is thought to be the first openly trans contestant on a UK singing show. Okay. A show insider tells us Jordan is definitely one to watch. While there are others with a better voice, she is a great performer. Well, performance is we'll keep an eye on that one. So, The Voice UK, um, Jordan Gray. Everyone keep an eye on that one. Yep, definitely. Well, guess what? Before we go. Yep. Oh, oh. There yes, you yes, go. Yes, yes. Okay, now, look, this one probably is a little bit more long-winded, but it's worth reading completely out, okay? So, how South Dakota lawmakers candidly justify the anti-transgender bill they support um, now, they support several anti-LGBT bills and are swiftly advancing through the South Dakota legislature, two of which uh, t- uh, directly target transgender people for discrimination. Several lawmakers all defended their support for this bill that bans transgender students from using bathrooms uh, that match their gender, uh, which actually passed the House 58 to 10, which is quite sad. In doing so, they demonstrated various biases and misunderstandings about the transgender community. Now, the rep um, Stalzer offered the familiar myth that people with male anatomy going into female showers and locker rooms is somehow a threat to other women, defining individuals entirely by their anatomy. He suggested that transgender women are basically all male exhibitionists. No. Mm -hmm. And he said that, I think we're protecting the young women in our South Dakota high schools, he said. It is already a crime for a male to expose themselves in front of females, and they can call it she, he, whatever. But as long as they have male anatomy, they're in violation of that law, if nothing else. So what happens to transgender boys? (laughs) Exactly. It's funny. They always focus on the trans women. There's never a discussion about trans You never say that. Do you remember a little while ago, I think it was in Houston or Dallas or something like that, they had the... um Oh, what was it? There's the bathroom bills, uh-huh. and there was um, this big burly uh, trans. Oh, I loved that one. Yeah, it was and the viral he, thing. Yeah, it went viral, and he went into the women's bathrooms and doing selfies. He was a massive cowboy too. He was huge, and it was a trans was, man. No, no, it was great. No, but this this gets even worse. Listen oh, to this. No. Rep. <laughs> Will, will, I can't pronounce it. He's similarly denying the existence of transgender kids, describing the bill as pretty simple. He explains if you're a boy, you go to the boys' room. If you're a girl, you go to the girls' room. Then he proceeded to insist that if you're one of the ones who, one of those unfortunate people who don't really know, you have to use a separate restroom. He didn't explain that what makes them unfortunate, nor did he address the transgender kids who do really know what they are. In perhaps the most shocking and most widely reported comments, um, they praised the bill because it's about protecting our children. In a comment that elicited audible gasps from the audience, he said, "I'm sorry if you're, tw- if, I'm sorry if you're so twisted. You don't know who you are. A lot of don't know who you are. A lot of people are, and I'm telling you right now, it's about protecting the kids. And plant transgender people are mentally ill. Um, they're treating the wrong part of the anatomy, and they have to be treating it up here and just into his head. That's nuts. Look, That's insane. Her, I've had enough of that. I can't listen I'm out. to that. I'm out. I don't think you should get, we should give him airplay. I don't think we I should. I don't think so either. But I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that's going on over there, and this is no. I think is quite appropriate for what we're getting into yeah. now today. So I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We've got a we're going to play some short messages, and we're going to have a song, and then we're going to come back and we're going to start to talk about trans kids a little bit more. You are listening to Transpositions on Joy ninety four point nine. We got a message come through here. We've got a message. Um, all right, so the message we have is the only issue is the mother. We want kids to be well-rounded, global citizens who are accepting and understanding. Let's start teaching kids about all the represent all the representatives of the world. Hats off to the State School Coalition and all the awesome education staff involved in breaking down barriers and keeping kids safe. 
Yay. Yay, that's good. Oh, okay. You've got Thank you so much for that lovely message. And now, yeah, that's good. Well, now, like I said, we're carrying on from our back-to-school segment. We are. We have our guests tonight. Yeah, so we do have Dr. Michelle Telfer and also Sally Nichols, which are two very amazing people who... Sally's actually shaking her head going, no. <laughs> yes, you are. You are. You both are amazing women. <laughs> but look, well, we feel privileged to be here. Yeah, well, I'm no, sure. Well, thank, we're privileged to have you here, so thank you so much. Look, um, Michelle, I want to probably talk to you first, and not Mish, Michelle. I know. Okay. All right. Dr. Okay. Michelle. Dr. Michelle. So we'll call you Dr. Michelle. So, <laughs> Dr. Michelle, I want to start to get a bit of an idea as to the development of a child, um, because obviously you start off at pre-puberty. Um, and then you obviously go through puberty, and that's really when the, a lot of the secondary sexual characteristics start to develop in a child. How does that actually happen, and what are the different respective stages as to how that happens? And maybe we can start to talk about some other things after that. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Megan. Well, really what happens is pretty variable between individuals. So some young children from the age of about eight or nine can start to see changes in their body um, and obviously that differs uh, whether you're a um, biological boy or biological girl but the first thing that seems to happen in biological girls is that you develop breast buds and in biological uh, boy bodies they tend to have an increase in size of their testicles as the first sign and from there the changes happen gradually over a number of years um, until um, at oh, some year 18 months after an um, initial onset of puberty in the biological males their voices can deepen and as uh, we know in biological females breasts develop to their um, kind of end shape and size when they're in mid-adolescence. So it takes a long time. Some people go through it really quickly. Others it takes uh, many years. Um, but they're the, they're the processes. And I understand they're called Tanner stages. Is that correct? That's right. So we go from Tanner stage one, which is pre-puberty, up to a final adult uh, stage, which is Tanner stage five. Okay, and that's obviously through the release of hormones that are secreted in, in the body by the gonads, which go and and make those changes happen. Is that pretty much right at a high level? Yeah, well, it starts off with the hypothalamus. That's a gland in the brain, and that starts to secrete something called gonadotrophin releasing hormone, um, and it releases it in a pulsatile manner, um, and that releases this hormone into the bloodstream. It goes to the pituitary, which is another gland in the brain that reduces, uh, produces other hormones, and then those hormones go down to the gonads. So the whole body is involved. It's called an, um, an axis that goes from the brain to the gonads. So it's a multi-stage process yeah. actually happening with the whole brain. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now, so everyone understands that this is basically the, the heavier end of, of, of our segment of this return to school thing, talking about the kids and hormones. And... Uh, it may get a bit technical, but it's just to give you an understanding of, of what actually is involved and, and why it's so important to, to cover it. So. Mm. so when we talk about hormone therapy for trans kids, obviously they've come along and they've been diagnosed as, being, um, as having gender dysphoria. And obviously the decision what's appropriate for that child is for that child to transition. So how do we work with the different respective stages of of blocking and stopping puberty altogether and then starting to think about hormone therapy and those kinds of things. Well, well maybe maybe a step back here. Yep. And, and when we're talking about those things like the, the, the breast budding 
and things like that, that people have to understand that when a child, if a child is dealing with gender dysphoria and they start seeing those breast buds or they start feeling and seeing those changes, that's where that stress comes in. And that's where that you see a young, say, um, young girl who is going, who identifies as transgender as a boy, but sees these breast buds. She basically starts having, oh my God, what's going on? Why is my body going this way? They don't identify as a female. Same thing as a male when things are growing and developing. They don't Mm. identify as a male and they start having stress from those characteristics. So that's a different psychological issue that you have with those children? Yeah, so when, uh, and um, Shell, you're right, when we see young children um, go into puberty, who identify as trans or gender diverse, the level of anxiety and distress increases in a, in a manner that needs urgent attention. Could you explain, maybe just, you don't have to give names or anything like that, but, but say maybe a, a light case, uh, just to give an example of what you a light case would be, maybe what an extreme case would be of a child who deals with these issues of dysphoria, like uh, not being able to see their body, hiding hiding their body to... <laughs> I'm trying to think of to something to give, pretty extreme to give more of it yeah. more of an example paint a picture to people the, yeah. the, the extreme cases you see that come towards you for dealing with this yeah so we do see some extreme cases and um, the um, disgust that people feel sometimes towards their own body is pronounced and it's um, really um, a kind of a reflection of uh, their body changing in a way that um, they really don't want it to and um, we see young people who try and um, harm themselves by cutting parts of their body or uh, trying to change their body um, by doing themselves harm to minimise those changes but what we're really fortunate enough to have is this fantastic treatment um, essentially that blocks puberty so there's a hormone this gonadotrophin releasing hormone sorry about using the medical terms but um, we have a medication um, that blocks that hormone and it stops that access in the body from working so instead of having to experience that terrible distress that goes with the body changing we can administer this hormone uh, or this drug and it um, stops the body from progressing in that way so their brains still develop, they develop emotionally and cognitively and um, they keep growing taller and all of those normal things that Mm. would happen in puberty, but they don't develop these secondary sexual characteristics and that just makes everything much easier for them. And this is completely reversible? Totally reversible. So we're fortunate we've been using these uh, drugs in children for many, many years. There's another condition that we we use them for Um, and so we've been using them for a long time we know they're really safe there are very very few side effects that we experience and if you stop them then your body just reverts back to how it would have been should you have never started taking them so they don't affect um they don't affect your fertility or any other part of your body at all now at what age would you how would you assess a child and at what age would you say start giving these drugs to them yeah so we 
we always wait until someone has just gone into puberty. Mm-hmm. So that might be a really small change, but some kids are so anxious about their body changing at all that even the slightest change can be enough for us to feel that this is in the best interests of the child. And obviously they've gone through a big assessment prior to that with the mental health people, mm. with a paediatrician such as myself, and we have a number of discussions about long-term issues with regards to pros and cons of having this treatment. The puberty blockers are are started at variable ages. So for some young people, they've gone into puberty at age uh, 10 and we've needed to start it then because that's been the right time for them. Others haven't started puberty until 12 um, or a bit later and that's the the time for that young person. So we're going to talk probably about some more of that a little bit in a moment actually because you mentioned one magic word. uh, which was in the best interest of the child, and then we start to talk about some other things. So we're going to talk about that very shortly. We're going to play um, some quick messages, and then we're going to play a track, and uh, we're going to come back and talk more about best interests of the child and those kinds of things. So you are listening to Transpositions on Joy 94.9. My name is Mish with my co-host Megan. Hi. Now, we are talking stage one, stage two, hormones, hormone therapy, children, Royal Children's Hospital, pretty heavy topic. Now, to recap what we just talked about was, was stage one hormone treatment, and which is more around blockers. And people have to understand that these young children have um, heavy distress and, and around their body going through the secondary... Um, the development of the secondary sexual characteristics yeah. through puberty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking stage two now. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, if you want to feel free to take us from there. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, so stage two treatment often gets started around uh, age 15 or 16 here in Australia, um, earlier overseas in a number of countries. And what stage two treatment is, is essentially hormone treatment that is gender affirming. So if you identify as female, then you'd start estrogen treatment. And if you identified as male, um, then you'd start testosterone. So some of the hormone changes that get, uh, that, that, um, the body will go through after starting these hormones are irreversible Um, so that means for example that if you're taking estrogen you will develop breasts and with breast development um, you can't undo um, those changes unless you have surgery and same with changes from testosterone in that it'll change the shape of your jaw and deepen your voice and and those things also now there's a bit of technicality around all of this and this is why sally nichols is here with us to also help part of this discussion now too uh, and the issues around the stage two hormone treatment right yes that's right so if any of our patients want to start on stage two hormones they need to go to the family court of australia to have uh, that permission granted and this occurs uh, even if the young person feels that it's what they want if the parents are both on board with uh, with this treatment being in the best interests of their child and if the medical specialists from our service or any other uh, gender service in Australia agrees with the family. So we still have to go to court. Which... Why do you have to go to court if it's in the best interest of the child where, you know, you said before in the best interest, best interest of the child was to block puberty. 
what was it suddenly different selling well it's quite it's quite unique mm. um, we were discussing before that there's been internationally um, we're considered quite interventionalist and that's quite disappointing for the children and for the families and I'm sure for the medical pr- uh, profession who are so compassionate and have the children's best interest at heart and you can tell that the court is also struggling with the um, the area as well there's some reluctance in the judgments and particularly the, the most recent full court judgment of re Jamie where um, the um, Chief Justice actually expressed um, concern but was bound by previous case law that even if a child was found to be Gillick competent um, which is the the name the medical term or the case that actually establishes um, competency um, by the medical practitioners and the court actually agreed that it's a medical decision they need to endorse it they need to review the evidence and ensure that that child's gillet competent um, but there needs to be a change we think in the legislation to actually overcome previous case law. So just to clarify, Gillick competency means that a child is able to make informed consent? Yes, and really understands the nature, for example, of the the irreversible nature would be a good example of the treatment that they're receiving and what the consequences are, that they're mature enough to really understand. And if that's the case, no further investigation really needs to be made by the court. Um, However, the court needs to endorse that medical opinion at the moment with the current case law. It kind of seems pretty excessive for a family to go through. It is, and we've really tried hard for a long time to um, mitigate the length of the trials. I think at the moment we we are constricted by the um, protocols and the rules that relate to special medical procedure. But, for example, what we've tried to argue successfully now on a number of occasions is that if a child is actually found to be Gillick competent in all the relevant materials before the court, then there should just be one hearing because there was a stage there where cases were actually going to three or four hearings for the evidence to be considered, particularly before Jamie. So we've actually, we hope now that if all the evidence is in front of the court, this matters can be actually heard just in one hearing. Now, this also can be quite an expensive um, exercise, can't it? Yes. And and what what could some families be looking to out of pocket? Look, if they were to pay normal rates, it, it it would be thousands of dollars. Mm. However, what we're really committed to, and um, uh, we would like to work with the hospital and um, other sort of similarly, um, similar practitioners who have the same ethics and values, is to make sure that it can be actually done on a pro bono basis because at the moment the kids are forced and compelled by the law to do this and it does seem unfair. So we're hoping to try and gather around like-minded professionals who would actually be happy to do it on a pro bono basis um, whatever the means of the parents involved. Yeah, and I'd just like to back up uh, some, some of Sally's comments about um, the comments we're getting back from the judges in the family court that they are increasingly feeling like um, there isn't really a role for them in these decisions. And um, just back in December, just before Christmas, on the 23rd, there was a case heard in the family court in Victoria where Justice Bennett made some striking comments at the end about how going to court itself had caused great distress for the family, for the young person involved, and also made comments on the fact that there are a lot of resources put into their pro bono representation, and also the uh, evidence prepared by the doctors at the hospital. Um, This wasn't one of my um, patients, but certainly the other two doctors who had to write the extensive reports, which we we do obviously as um, for, for free um, but the judge was making comments on this which is the first time a judge has actually been very explicit in one of the judgments and um, and we're certainly progressing towards 
hopefully a time where we don't need the court at all. Mm. And, and, and to really sort of summarise, you, you listen to some of the news articles we listen to about a mom getting upset about a child going into a toilet that they identify with. People have to understand the amount of things that are going on behind the scenes, the weight these children are going into royal children's, the distress that they're under. They don't, they're uncomfortable with their bodies, the way the bodies are developing. They identify with who they are. This isn't a sexual thing. This is a, an identity thing. The families are already basically forking out thousands to go to the court, to go and get the child the right care that they need. And these parents are actually throwing a fit because they don't understand that their child needs to be in the right it, space it themselves. It is amazing, actually, to be able to meet the children. Mm. And obviously, um, it, to me, it's quite, it is a privilege and it's quite humbling. But also the relief on the child's face when they actually know, the shoulders go down, that, that we will get through this. We'll mm. do it and it will be fine and it, it, they'll be able to get through the process um, to give the child that relief and that support. So some of them have actually felt quite vindicated that there mm. is a process, at least, to recognise them in that way. Michelle, you spoke before uh, about the family court, about the judges having to make decisions. You're quite well known in terms of the Royal Children's Hospital having a number of cases and your caseload growing exponentially. When you look at how that's going to translate in terms of all the families which are having to present to court in order to have access to stage two, that's a huge load on the court itself and also on the whole legal system. Absolutely. We had 170 new referrals to the Royal Children's last year and the year before that we had more than 100 as well. And the research that's come out of New Zealand um, is suggestive that 1.2% of the population identifies as transgender. So potentially the court could be looking at a huge number of cases coming forward if this situation doesn't change. And given that the court feels that it's unnecessary, the doctors feel it's unnecessary, and the community doesn't want it, we really need to make a change mm. to, cha- to to get this out of the system. And it's also the stress on the children and also the family as well. Oh, and that's, mm. that's number one. The distress put on young people um, going to court is enormous. And you can imagine most People think about having to go to court as a time when something's gone wrong or they've done something wrong. So think of these poor transgender young people who are going to court um, and having to answer questions about something as fundamental as who they are. Exactly. That's crazy stuff. Now, you know, because I, I, I love being able to have a, a platform like this to be able to go and show people the other side of all of these issues that are going on we will be back shortly we have a few messages for you and we'll talk to you in a few minutes you are listening to transpositions on joy 94.9 this evening we have been talking about um stage one stage two uh hormone treatment with our guest dr michelle uh michelle telfer and our other guest sally nichols um now, if you do have any questions or you do want to send any messages through, you can SMS us at 0427-JOY949, or you can email us at onair at joy.org.au. But do it very quickly. Do it very quickly. We're almost we're running into to the end of the show here soon. Mm. Um, now, ladies. Well, I was oh. going to say, we had a message which came through, oh, and I want to read too, some messages. So... Thanks very much for this great discussion. My trans daughter is nine and we're seeking the gender clinic in Queensland in about two months. Can Dr. Telford tell us if the puberty blockers will hold off any signs of puberty until cross-sex hormone therapy can start? 
Absolutely. So nine's a great time to access a gender service to start the assessment process uh, because puberty's likely to kick in between 10 and 12 and that would give um, time for people to do the right assessments um, and then to start off on puberty blockers. Is there one? How many clinics are there in Queensland? Do you know? Is there one or two? There's some great doctors up in Queensland. Yep. Yeah. Um, some fantastic uh, child and adolescent psychiatrists and um, some paediatricians who work together and an endocrinologist actually so they've got a really good service there. Good stuff. Now the next message we have is telling a transgender person they need to go to court for hormones is telling them that they have done something wrong. There is nothing wrong with being transgender. Why are we treating these adolescents like criminals it's flat out discrimination it does almost sound like flat out discrimination look how can we change the situation how can we make things easier now, for now, kids yeah. now australia is the only jurisdiction where this exists i don't think it's the only jurisdiction but it's it's one of the only jurisdictions mm. and um but michelle you might want to comment on what's happening or what's in the yeah, so I, I think it is discrimination. I think mm. it's as plain and simple as that. And I think we need to get all of these medical decisions um, out of the court system. And fortunately, we have um, a number of people who are working with us to um, to make that happen. Um, and we, we first started talking at about it after the case of Jamie. So this is a very important case where um, a decision was handed down in 2013 and at the Royal Children's Hospital, we're obviously not lawyers, um, but w- we genuinely thought that this was going to get everything out of the courts and we held all our hopes on, on the outcome of this full bench um, of the family court decision. But unfortunately, the decision was made to keep stage two treatment in the courts. I think they were, they were bound by a case called Marion and I've actually had to take, uh, I'm happy to take transgender kids through Marion and explain that unfortunately they're bound by case law that has developed this way, but it is unfair and it is wrong and the general consensus at a lot of the children's rights conferences we attend is to actually get rid of it and there's a lot of support in um, to do that. Now remarrying that set the precedent was it for special medical yes, procedures? Yes so we've got a hierarchy of courts so it's so we're bound for example by a higher court so what's frustrating is it might be that single judges make decisions um, and they give us a guidance but that we're not bound by a single judgment we're bound by our higher courts um, like the full court in Jamie so that's why Michelle's absolutely right we were all waiting for this test case in inverted commas to try and distinguish it from Marion but Marion is a high court case and it, it wasn't per se so so what happened in remarrying case well in in Marion um there was a spate and it was addressing a spate of um girls in particular who um, were um, had suffered from certain mental impairment, they couldn't make their own decisions, so they weren't gillic competent, and um, their parents were often performing hysterectomies um, on these girls without um, any um, and the, without real or the fear was, without um, a review of the consequences on that person's right to have a right to fertility and to have a family despite an impairment. And so the court started talking about treatment that was um, irreversible, particularly that it might impact on a child's um, minor's fertility in the future. It was um, that type of treatment is outside parental um, consent itself 
um, and that there needs to be an independent um, assessment when fertility is impacted upon and that has then translated down to the treatment of transgender kids like stage two where there'll be an irreversible impact on a child's fertility. So also that, that treatment itself really serves no therapeutic benefit for the child. How does it relate to other um, other treatments which are done to children, um, which once again have no therapeutic uh, impact, such as, say, male circumcision? Look, I, I think the use of Marion um, has been extraordinary. It really. could have been distinguished. <laughs> yes, but, because... Th- Marion's case has so little to do with the decisions that are made around transgender children that um, I think it's, yeah, as I said, it's extraordinary um, and I really don't understand um, how we're in this situation now where we're continuing to be bound by um, this case. But um, the courts have really struggled, as Sally said, because of the way it's set up with a hierarchy of court systems the courts have struggled to um, remove Marion mm-hmm. yeah, from, from these decisions. Well, how, do we, how do we fix things? How do we make it yeah, work? So really interest, uh, interestingly, um, one of the judges who was on the full bench of the family court in the Jamie case has just written a paper about how because of the court structure it is going to be um, very, very unlikely the court can change it. Therefore, the need um, there's a need for federal politicians to write a bill that gets passed in Parliament or in some other way legislate to remove this from the court system. And that's where our advocacy work is um, headed at the moment. Um, so we've been um, advocating for this change with the federal politicians um, We've had um, a lot of interest from the Office of the Attorney-General, George Brandis, also interest from the Shadow Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus. We're also meeting with a number of federal ministers in Canberra in a couple of weeks' time, hoping to get support that they will write the necessary changes in the legislation and have this have this whole process resolved. So it's almost like a, a watch this space kind of situation. Yeah, Definitely. look, I think we've made a lot of progress and it's really exciting. And um, if we can have this change come through, it will make such a difference to the trans community and how adolescents see themselves and how families approach the difficult decisions that come with transitioning uh, socially and then medically. Because mm, it really is such a big ball game. Huge. Huge. <laughs> Look, Sally and Michelle, um, Dr Michelle, I should say, thank you so much for coming in tonight. We've really appreciated um, um, what you've said, and also we really think a lot of the questions and comments which have also come through as well, um, we really have appreciated. I think tonight's really quite important with, uh, obviously, trans kids. And as, as soon as we can, we'll, we'll definitely get the podcast up and sharing out to the public as well. For those who have missed the show, or, or even if you wanted to share this conversation with the greater audience through your own facebook page or through twitter or whatever just so that people have a better education around the situation mm, absolutely you are listening to transpositions on joy 94.9 mingzy it is that time it, again. it is the end of the show unfortunately we, we've had an amazing show tonight so we really do thank once again um dr michelle and also sally for coming through and having a bit of a chat with us tonight i don't want it to end I think <laughs> fun. Well, we, we're going to give you this there you go. Oh, thanks. And I'm sure everybody who's sending through messages now would, would agree with that clap as well. And if you 
do have any, if you want to continue your messages, please feel free to go to our Facebook page, post them there, uh, Transpositions on Joy. Uh, we will be posting the podcast there as well. If you, Absolutely. And yes. if you did miss this show or any of the other shows along our, our segment, we will be getting them posted up shortly. There has been a bit of a backlog, backlog so you can get us on joy.org.au forward slash transpositions. Or you can also Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash transpositions on joy. If you like listening to us, Click like on our show. We would like to get as many likes as what we possibly can. You can also go to the podcast uh, app on the Apple Store app on, on your device and actually download the show as well and listen to your regular updated subscribe podcast as they come through if there's anything you missed. Absolutely. I'm going to take you out with a nice little track by Karen and the Kids and All Is Love. You are listening to Transpositions. Talk to you Joy next 9, week. Join on 4.9. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.